Cool. So tonight we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Um, take it for what it is. I just prepared it today, so <laughs> we'll see where the, we'll see what the Lord does, because he's a uh, he's definitely able to handle it. I'm not okay. So let's pray again before we start, and uh, we'll get into God's word. It's 1 Corinthians chapter two. Uh, Father, um, you're good, Dad, and you uh, you see everything that goes on in our day, in our heart, in our mind, and we just pray that you would uh, speak to us in your word that. Holy Spirit, you would come and, and fill me and fill everyone here and uh, just uh, just speak to us here tonight, God. We we need your wisdom and we need to know what the right way to go is in a lot of things. And I pray that you would just correct us and encourage us tonight uh, in your word and uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Cool, so 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Um, might help if I get my notes, right? I'm just trying to go off the cuff here. But uh, so welcome all who are here to celebrate my wonderful wife, because it's Ash Wednesday. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, Jim kind of handed that off, and I tweaked it a little bit. So I was like, that's a, that's a pastor joke right there. But 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, and my wife is awesome, but it's called Be Spiritual. Be Spiritual. <laughs> so we know uh, Corinthians, Corinthians was written by Paul. It was at the end of his three-year stay in Ephesus. Um, this is just a little recap. It was written around AD 53 to 57. It's around 20 years after Christ died on the cross and, and rose again and went to heaven. Um, praise God. Uh, he became a believer when Jesus confronted him. And uh, as we've said in the other messages, if you uh, were here, that um, Jesus isn't always like, you know, like, Jesus is a friend of mine. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen that video from the 70s. He's, he can be confrontational sometimes, and Corinthians tends to be a confrontational letter. It's in love, but it's, uh, you know, it can be kind of sharp at times. Um, Corinth, it was a major port city. It was a famous city. It's about three-quarters of a million people, um, twice that population of Orange County, uh, according to the Internet. But uh, Corinth, there was a saying to live like a Corinthian, and it meant wild partying, partying sexual immorality, and all sorts of just you know, doing what you want because you want to do it. But I have a couple questions for you tonight, and uh, I'm going to ask them. So, what impresses you? What impresses you? What are your favorite things to do? What is your basis for your decisions? What is your basis for your decisions or your decision-making process? Who or in whom do you trust? And who do you turn to for advice? We give a little content advisory. If you've seen, like on CDs, it says parental warning. Um, but this is just content advisory. Tonight, when we're talking about spiritual things, we're talking about godly spirituality. Godly spirituality. Biblical spirituality. Uh, true spirituality. We're not talking new age spirituality. We're not talking uh, general spiritual interest. You know, I believe in a force. You know, higher power. Uh, you know, we're not talking ghost hunters or any of those shows on TV. Uh, we're not talking astrology. Um, just a side note on astrology. Uh, Chuck Missler said, if, if when you're born, if your mother's like, stomach can stop the powers of astrology, what if you put like a stake over your face? Would that like, stop the power of the stars? You'll get it. Go home and think about it. You'll get it. Because if, if it's on your birthday, you're in there for nine months already, so your mom's stomach must be like lead-lined or something. But real spirituality. Real spirituality. And, and this, is, this is the warning here. This is the warning if you can get past 
my lame attempt at humor here. Uh, it is highly dangerous, guys. It's highly dangerous, highly dangerous to be spiritual without the Holy Spirit. I'm a guy, I'm starting to get into more dangerous things. It's like, I feel like, oh, this is all part of manhood. I never tapped into it. i got to get involved in that. But there's certain things that are just dangerous. You know, a lot of this world is dangerous. But without the Holy Spirit, spiritual things are really dangerous. So let's read the first five verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to get a swig here. No one ridicule me like in the news. I'm drinking. <laughs> Someone's watching. Uh, yeah. Second Corinthians 2, verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the wisdom of God. We'll go back to that first question. What impresses you? What impresses you? Is it fancy words? Is it nice clothes? Is it physical strength? Is it money? Is it power? Is it a job well done? Man, that guy did a really good job. I respect him. An act of humility and meekness? That's not something we usually think of impressive, right? When someone does something for you, does that impress you? But Paul didn't come with any of the, the first things. Fancy words, nice clothes, physical strength. Um, yet his writings are part of the most impressive writings in history. Um, he simply taught what the Word of God said, and he expounded on that. You know, he didn't put it in a fancy wrapper. Um, and I don't mean, I mean like wrapper, like Christmas. Um, if you guys, anyone here buy like a gadget recently, like a phone or a tablet or a computer? I know Phil has. But you know these new boxes that they have? Well, yeah, well, you, <laughs> that's, that's the right one. But they come in a box, right? And the whole push now is like, oh, you got this like soft touch box. The box is all fancy. It like slides apart. It comes inside and it's, it says all like smugly designed by some guy in California on it. You flip it open. There's like a sticker for your car so everyone in traffic knows exactly what you spent all your hard-earned money on. And it comes in this nice, fancy wrapper. Um, you know, let's just, you know, put it in the nicest box possible so that you think what you're getting is way nicer than it might actually be. It's like, I'll take a, a cheap box and save 50 bucks. Thank you. But, you know, like, there's certain places you'll buy on, uh, stuff online now. Um, I like buying stuff online because it's just cheaper and it's just cheaper. But, uh... <laughs> It comes, and now it just comes in a cardboard box and like a little plastic bag. It doesn't even come in a fancy box anymore because they, they already impressed you. They impressed you with their website. They impressed you with, oh, I saved $2. I got free shipping. You know, you don't really care about the box at that point, so they don't care. They're not going to spend the money to impress you when you're just going to throw it out at that point. Um, and, and Paul didn't do that with the gospel. Paul didn't do that with the word of God that he was given. He didn't put it in a fancy package to try and sell it to anybody because he knew what he was preaching. He knew that it sold itself. He knew that God didn't need any help in really making it more palatable. And I think a large problem with the church and with Christianity today is trying to make the Bible what they call seeker-friendly, where you'll come in the door and you'll hear, you know, the Beatles. You know, maybe some of you like the Beatles and that would get you that one, get me. But um, there's a saying that uh, what, 
what they get you with is what they have to keep you with. Like, if you get a free mug, you're going to end up wanting a free mug every couple of weeks. Or, you know, if you have a friend and you're only friends with them because they buy you something every week, the moment they stop buying something for you, you probably go, oh, I don't really want to hang out with them anymore. Like, the moment your job stops paying you, unless you're self-employed, you'll probably stop going to work, you know? And I think that's the same thing. Like, there's this danger in saying that, oh, this Word of God isn't enough. We need to freshen it up for the modern age. You know, we need to put a nice box around it. We need to, you know, make it cooler and, you know, make sure we have all the cool clothes and cool sayings. And there's a place for that, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, but is that really the focus? But who do we turn to for spiritual advice? Uh, do we trust them because they are on TV? Oh, they must be trustworthy because, look, they're on TV. It's hard to get on TV, isn't it? Um, do we trust them because they have a large following? Wow, they have, you know, 30,000 people in their church, or they've written the New York Times bestseller, you know, so-and-so. You know, the Bible's a New York Times bestseller. I think it's the best one ever. Um, because they dress nicely? Because they have what we're looking for? You know, first impressions matter, but what truly matters is the lasting effect. Like, if you bring that shiny new gadget home and that big old fancy box that's nice and soft, and you don't even throw it away, you put it in your closet, because you're like, that's too nice, I can't throw that out. Um, but then the product breaks three weeks later. You know, it's like, you just got a fancy box with a piece of junk inside. And I think that's a real danger. Uh, what's that verse? I think it's First Timothy 4.4. 4. I had it and I didn't put it in there. No, maybe it's Second Timothy. I put it on Facebook today. I should know it, right? Here we go. First, Second Timothy 4.3. For the time will come where they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, God bless you, because they will have itching ears. They will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside towards fables. But you, but us, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. There's coming a time, and there now is, he says, that there's going to be people who are just going to look for what they want to hear. They're going to change the channel. Nope, that guy doesn't teach what I'd like to hear. Or, oh, you know, that church says something that I don't like, you know, that's biblical, that I'm not going to go there. And so they're going to look and float around to find something to what they like. And I think that that's a danger when, you know, it's a great thing that we have the Internet. It's a great thing that we have radio and ability to reach the whole world instantaneously pretty much um, with the gospel. But I think it's a danger if we're not careful if, if we go out there and we say, I'm just going to take a little bit of this guy and a little bit of this guy, and we're not really discerning, and we'll get into that later, about what we're listening. Are we just listening to people who say stuff that we like to hear? Or do we really feel that God is leading me to listen to this person or to be uh, under this person in a, in a ministry, under meaning like, you know, you sit there and you listen to what they have to say. Like, um, you know, we sh- all should have people in our lives that we listen to spiritually. But are we, are we just doing it just because, oh, I need to have this in my life, but as soon as it rubs me the wrong way, I'm not going to listen to it. I'm going to find somebody else that tells me what, what I want to hear. Like, ever go to, like, a friend for advice or a friend comes to you for advice and you can tell that they don't really want advice, that they just kind of want you to agree with what they're trying to, they, like, package it nicely in this nice, like, question. But the contents of that box is really, like, I've got this opinion. Can you just agree with me so I can rationalize and go ahead with it? And I think we have that mentality sometimes without the Spirit, you know, encouraging us to stay in a place of um, maybe something we don't want to hear or discipline to kind of go towards things that we like as opposed to, um, going towards things that we need. Um, you know, that's pretty evident in our society. Um, it's 
pretty evident. I had something I lost it. These lights. You get up here. <laughs> but thanks, James. Uh, checks in the mail. Uh, Paul's only aim, though, was to express Jesus to others in word and how he lived, as well as see Jesus lived out in others' lives. You know, he, what does he say here? He says that uh, in verse 2, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He didn't really know to, you know, maybe he found out other things about these people, but his main goal wasn't to make them more fashionable or make them have uh, a happier life and, you know, be successful and make yourself a better public speaker. He, his main goal was to know that they knew Jesus and him crucified. Not that they knew just who Jesus was, but that they knew the power of his death and resurrection in their personal lives. And that was his main goal. And that's why he didn't come with fancy words and all these other things, because those things don't profit. Those things passed away. He came, you know, he wasn't rich, you know, he wasn't married. You know, scholars, you know, have different ideas on, on what happened with that. But he came with all he had to make sure that these people knew Jesus and him crucified. And that's what matters in a message. It may have a shiny box. It may have a great presentation. You know, you may have lights and TVs all over the place. But if the message isn't about Jesus Christ and him crucified, throw it out. Throw it out. You know, throw that, throw that baby out with the bathwater. Um, but that's how we should be as believers, especially among other believers like us here tonight. In each other's lives, like, of course, we're not going to be friends with everyone here in this room. I mean, yeah, we'll probably come to church, maybe get to know each other a little bit. But there's only really a few people that we can truly be friends with. You know, as much, you know in heaven we'll have plenty of time, but here we don't have really enough time to do it. Um, and so the people that are, are closely, are closest in our life um, should really be uh, those people that we can receive from, that can receive from us, that are willing to say the hard things, that are willing to go through the hard things with us. But most importantly, they should be the people who want to see Jesus Christ crucified and risen again, resurrected in your life. Not crucified over and over and over again, like, certain rituals, but resurrected back to life. That when they come to you and they share something with you, the, their goal is to see Jesus live down in your life. To see you come to know Jesus more. Not to judge you, but to say, hey bro, like Jesus. You know? Like, simply. But he says that, um, you know, and not, another point in that, not to fashion them after our own ideas. Not to get in there and say, oh, this person, you know, is very open, they need a friend, let me, you know, get in there and give them my own ideas and make them into a little you know, mini-me clone or whatever, but really it's to make them into a Jesus clone because that's what Christian is. It means little Jesus. But, um, oops, keyboard. But what are we living for? You know, is it to know Jesus Christ and him crucified? Or are we living for other things? Are we living for even Christian things or church things? Like, is getting up and, and coming to church your number one priority? Yeah, what's wrong with that? Well, Jesus Christ should be your number one priority in the day and it should be my number one priority. Coming to church should be like number three or number four. Or just, you know, I think you get what I'm trying to say there. But he says that he's determined to know. He's determined to know. And what that speaks to me is that it doesn't come easy and that it's easy to be distracted. You know, Jesus Christ is the most important being, person, God. He is God ever. He's the most important. He's most important. And because he's most important and we live in a sinful, fallen world, it's easy to get distracted so easy to get distracted. Even in like our own lives, like we, we get distracted by being busy about godly things and God says, hey, you know, I'm over here. You know, when's the last time we hung out? You know, Lord, I'm busy doing this for you. Well, 
Can you just come hang out with me? I don't care if that doesn't get finished or not. I want to hang out with you. You're the one I want to be finished. But Paul wasn't the perfect picture of health either when he was with them. Scholars talk about he had like eye problems. You know, he says he was weak and trembling and in fear. And, you know, Paul, like, Paul wasn't this big bodybuilder guy. He was probably like hunched over. You know, he walked everywhere. You know, who knows what, you know, who really knows what he looked like. Um, but he didn't come like the Tony Robbins or whatever that guy's name is with, you know, nice suit, big, tall, deep, booming voice. You know, Paul was probably, hey, you know, I determined to say Christ crucified. And, you know, like he was probably like just as squeaky as me. You know, I, got, I vowed to never do Star Wars jokes again. And I did. But uh, he had a lot going on, though. Even though he had a lot going on physically and he had a lot going on spiritually, you know, he was being attacked left and right. You know, was the church, not the church, but the, the Romans were trying to get him, the Jews were trying to get him, and then he still was going around the whole world going, hey, I'm determined to see you walk with the Lord. I'm determined to see you know what God has for you. Um, you know, he didn't let that stuff hold him back because he knew what was most important, and he was determined to follow him. Um, we see God's calling of David through Samuel in 1 Samuel 16. Um, so it was, um, when the head came, that he looked, uh, this is Samuel, at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Like, surely, like, this guy is, is the one. This guy is the next king of, of Israel. This guy is, look at him, like, he's six feet two, you know, he's got the flowing hair, you know, he's got his shoe, shoes laced up. Woo. You want to switch to this, Ed? Your landing gear is down. Your landing gear is down. We good? That surely he saw this guy and he said, he's got everything together. He must be, he must be the next king of Israel. And, uh, you know, the next, a couple of the other verses, they go through him and says, the Lord has not chosen these. And then uh, eventually they figured out that, you know, they had another kid out in the field. And so he said, so they sent and brought him David in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. So he wasn't even in the room. David wasn't even in the running. You know, it was like they were doing the, the presidential election, and this guy's out in the parking lot sweeping up. And they go, Nope, this candidate, that's not the candidate. Really, Lord? He looks good. Nope, nope, nope. And God saw somebody, somebody different, the guy who was out there taking care of his sheep, who had the shepherd's heart, not the, the fashion, mo- fashion model's heart. But God's calling and anointing are not always on the ones we think. You know, just because, like we said earlier, they might have a fancy ministry or they might even have a lot of followers and they might even say things that sound godly, um, it doesn't necessarily mean that God's anointing is on them. Um, you know, we need to be careful who we listen to. Uh, there's certain ministries, certain websites, certain people in our lives um, that will say things that just because it's on the Internet doesn't mean it's true. And I know that that's like cliche to say, but there are people who will leave a church, who will be kicked out of certain things, who will go post a website and go make this whole like convincing argument, if you're not paying attention, that says bad, defaming stuff about people who are truly walking. And you'll read that, and if you're not being discerning, you'll get sucked into it and go, oh, yeah, you know, they must be valid. They have a whole website dedicated to it. Are you, this is just some person. I mean, they might be right. They might be right. But the Bible says, don't take accusation against an elder without two or three witnesses. And it's like, all you know is this one. I'm, I'm on a thing right here, so let's kick it over. 
it's like all you know is what this person is saying. It's like they may be true, but just don't take it, you know, especially against a spiritual leader. Don't take it without first, you know, maybe even going to that spiritual leader if you know them or doing some more research or praying about it or investigating, investigating a little bit. Um, in our in our quick age, we tend to just like I'll read through the news headlines and just kind of read the headlines because the news are such fluff that I think I get enough out of the headline and then I'll read more. But I think sometimes we just go for the headlines and stuff and we don't really process it. Um, but just because someone impressive says something, again, doesn't mean it's true. Celebrities and politics, like somehow a movie star, because he made a movie that sold 8 billion tickets, all of a sudden knows how to make world peace. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like you were probably complaining because you didn't have enough, you know, M&Ms in your uh, trailer and now you want to make world peace. Like, not that they're not trying, but I, that, that doesn't make them an authority. Uh, news channels. Oh, this is great. I'm getting on that soapbox now. Um, news channels. Like, it really surprised me. Like, we got internet, and they gave us, like, basic cable with, like, you know, random channels. It's not even, like, doesn't even make sense. And, uh, <laughs> like, 104.8? Like, what is that? Um, but these news channels, the way they, they, they pass it off like news, but it's indoctrination. A lot of it is. And it's like, this is the way you should think, because everyone thinks this way. But no, it's really, that's the way your producer and advertiser wants you to think. And if you watch that stuff, like, I'm not saying you don't watch the news or, or that they're all out there, conspiracy theory, you know, put on your tinfoil hat. Um, I'm just saying you got to be discerning, because what they're saying is not always the news. It's really more, let's, let's convert your opinion to our opinion, so that we can do what we want to do. And uh, that's exactly not what Paul was doing. But fame and fortune don't equate with wisdom and spiritual authority. But verse 4 says, uh, we're really cooking, not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but demonstration of the Spirit in power. I love that. Demonstration of the Spirit in power. When, when God's Spirit comes upon your life, comes upon my life, there's power. The word in uh, the New Testament uh, at Pentecost was dunamis, or it's where we get dynamite from. When God begins doing work in your life, it's powerful. And you can't explain it other than God. Like, man, like, I don't do drugs anymore. That's God, because that's all I used to want to do. Or, wow, like, I didn't have any money, and all of a sudden, my bill got paid? That's God. Or, you know, I'm sure you guys have a million stories um, about that. Or even just sharing with somebody, and, you know, a verse comes to mind. Or you're just not afraid. Um, but that real power comes from God. It doesn't come from, um, you know, a, a six-DVD set on how to, you know, live your life. Or it doesn't come from uh, a website or anything like that. For instance, take a look at the disciples before and after receiving the Holy Spirit. You know, you read the Gospels and you go, oh, yeah, these guys are the disciples. They must have had it right at this point. No. No. They're like, no. You know, they were denying Jesus. They were inviting, hey, Jesus, who's going to be the best in the kingdom? Me or, you know, him. You know, Jesus, you want to get rid of these uh, smelly kids? You know, like, Jesus like, no, bring them here, put them on my lap. You know, Peter cuts off the guy's ear. Jesus goes, come on, Peter. And he puts the guy's ear back on. But after Pentecost, after they receive that power of the Holy Spirit, guess what? Preaching and thousands of people get saved. Thousands of people. You know, there's not a thousand people in here. Imagine if, you know, you went out uh, tomorrow morning at Dunkin' Donuts and you just felt like, I'm not saying you will be, maybe it's the coffee, but you felt led to preach the gospel and a thousand people are pulling over getting saved, repenting, crying, and, you know, airplanes are landing and, you know, people are just getting saved. Like, that's the difference here. Like, this guy goes from denying Jesus to all of a sudden thousands of people get saved. Um, and this, I think this is, this, is, this is something to listen to. You can listen to hours upon hours of people talking, even about spiritual things, and not get a thing out of it. 
But when God speaks, all it takes is a whisper. First Kings nineteen eleven through 12. Then he said, uh, God said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind in an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake was fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. You know, we probably expect God to show up with an earthquake or fire or, you know, stars falling from heaven. And he will. If you read Revelation, that's kind of like, okay, you really want God to show up like that? It's not going to be that fun. But God here is saying that, like, he doesn't need to show up like that to speak. He doesn't need to, to make this external display of power to be powerful. He's God. All, if God whispers, whoo, God spoke and the whole universe is created. So God whispers to us, one, I think because it's sweet and we can know that it's him, and two, because if he spoke any louder, we'd probably explode. <laughs> I kind of said it to be a little funny, but seriously. You know, he said, the Bible says that he dwells in unapproachable light. And my wife and I were talking about this the other night. It's like God is like this giant nuclear explosion, and you can't get close to him because you would just die. So he whispers, he whispers. But it's just like Jesus on the cross. You know, what seems like this ultimate weakness is really power. But why is Paul so careful about this? Why is Paul so careful not to come with, you know, the bling, not to come with fancy messages and his thesaurus and and all these things? It says that so that we'd have faith in God and not man. Paul was so careful that the people did not have faith in him and in his ministry, but that they would see through that and see God and see God at work. And I think we can cloud uh, God by using fancy things or by using even like humor in my jokes. I'm sure that obscures God in some, in some manner, and I hope it doesn't. But I think that, you know, we can use these things that really kind of, oh, it looks spiritual and it looks, oh, you know, the world's doing it. The world has this whole marketing plan. Maybe the church should do that too. And it kind of, you miss out on the real power of God. It's just sometimes a simple word, a simple word. You know, just like in, in chapter one, they got uh, caught up in who was doing the thing and, and who their pastor was and who baptized them. And it's, you know, it's be careful. Be careful. Uh, let's read uh, six through 11 here. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. There is a time and a place for mature spiritual conversation. Um, Just like there are times and places and situations to tell children about topics such as sex, violence, responsibility, uh, discipline, war, etc. Um, This has really been crossing my mind a lot lately because Ashley and I, are expecting a baby any if we were expecting the other day, but their due date Saturday. But any moment, and the thought is, wow, like how am I going to shield my child from this responsibly? 
How am I going to protect them responsibly? How am I going to expose them to things responsibly? Um, you know, and not like when they're born, you know, do you know on the IRS form in Section 9, you know, like there's a certain time they're going to go, put me back in. Like, like, you know, it was a lot different, you know. I love that baby. I can't wait to meet him but uh, or her. I don't know. Meet them. Um, but there's a time and a place for mature spiritual conversation. And that word mature there is, in Greek, it's teleos. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but brought to its end, finished, perfect, uh, but really in this context, full-grown, adult, a full age, mature. Just like there's little babies and there's uh, you know children and, and teenagers, which now all of a sudden extends to when you're 30 for some reason. Um, <laughs> you know, there's different ages and there's different things. You know, like I'm not going to get an AARP card yet, um, but I have my driver's license. I can vote, and um, you know. There's different age groups. And, you know, you're not really going to teach calculus to a little kid. It's hard enough when you're in high school. But uh, the same thing with spiritual conversations and spiritual topics. There's a foundation that we all need to have of spiritual, what Paul calls milk, of the gospel, of uh, repentance, of what it means to be a sinner, what it means to be saved, and just the basic things. There's a heaven. There's a hell. God and Satan. I mean, Jesus and Satan are not brothers. You know, Satan's messed up. Jesus is God. And, you know, there's all these like, basic things that we'll probably touch on in a second here. But I can remember that uh, early in my spiritual, early in my uh, uh, walk, knowing the Lord, you know, I got plugged in with some good guys. By the grace of God, I got some good friends who, who are still walking with the Lord or are still following the Lord, who God's used well. And um, I'm very grateful for that. And I can remember early, though, we were all kind of young in the walk at the time. And there would be some spiritual conversations slash arguments that I was around early in my walk, um, you know, good and bad. Like, sometimes we'd be at a diner, and you'd get into this, like, conversation, like, really? Like, transubstantiation? Or, you know, all these different things that you're going, what? Like, I'm even embarrassed and that you guys are fighting. But then imagine the people at the table next door going, what are they talking about? Like, <laughs> is God going to judge us? And then we're going to get raptured in the sky? And then, you know, and then the Antichrist comes? And, and then, you know, it's like all these things that at first glance go, wow, that's weird. You know, and I don't want anything to do with that because it's it's not the point. Um, but then I've, I was around other good conversations. Like I can remember being very early, just coming to church, and a couple guys, uh, a couple in the church at the time, really reached out to me. Um, I was just saved and really still kind of trying to figure everything out, and uh, still I am. And just ask my wife. And uh, they took me out to dinner and they loved on me and they asked me some some spiritual questions and. And looking back, I'm like, wow, they could have totally had a response for that. But they just sat there and listened and, and let me kind of regurgitate on their, you know, burping cloth or what are those things? Babe? You know, you know, they let me spiritually as a baby burp up a little bit and get to know what it is. And other people, too, I was like, you watch that movie. Isn't that demonic? And it was like, you know, the most lightheaded thing ever. But the fact that I was just fresh out of there, I didn't understand and everything was so raw to me. Um, but we'll go Hebrews 6, 1 through 3. It says, uh, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go unto perfection, not laying again the foundation, the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Like if God permits us to even just get some sort of grasp on this stuff, then we'll go on to something perhaps more meatier. But these foundations are very important. Um, I won't go into them too much. 
Um, but they can help gauge our growth. Um, repentance from dead works. Um, we were t- James and I were talking about this last night. And uh, sort of the idea of, one idea of it is repenting in, in our sense of repenting from the things we used to do, of going, that's wrong. I need to change my mind and do what God wants me to do. This is obviously wrong. This is obviously right. Help me, God, to do the right thing. But then also of dead works, where we have these religious ceremonies. You know, maybe you think of Ash Wednesday, and maybe some people are genuine, but I think a lot of people just put it on their head. Um, or other uh, things, like maybe, um, I, won't, I won't get into it, but just these dead works, these, these religious things that have this appearance of, of religion, but don't really have any heart behind it anymore. A faith toward God, that we're no longer believe, believing in our works, but in believing what God can do. In the doctrine of baptisms, laying out of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. These are good things, and I'm sure Pastor Tony will touch on some of them in uh, practical Christianity. But he says, let's move on to maturity. Let's take this foundation now. I can't walk around anymore. Let's take this foundation and build on it if God permits. If God says, yeah, that fa- you know, you've got the foundational principles around, and it's not you're better or you're, you know, if you have your foundation and, you know, you're not a good Christian if you don't have your foundation. No. But if you have these foundational things, then let's start to build on it. Because if you start to build on it and you don't have a good foundation, I'm sure some of you guys who do construction stuff could say, you know, if you're missing half your foundation, the building's not going to stay up. You know, if you have these ideas of Christianity and you try and build your life on it, then it's not true. It's not in the Bible. Something's going to break in your life and you're going to be stuck over and over and over in a rut. And you can't get out of it because you're standing in mud and you need to put a foundation there first. But these things come through faith. They come through faith. Um, you know, the world likes to wax philosophical. You know, there's think tanks. Um, in the old days, they used to sit around and philosophize. Um, they probably do that at the coffee shop now, in college. Uh, universities, um, global political summits, G8, G12, um, V8, you know, all these things that are just let's get together and because we're in politics and someone elected us or we just took power on our own that we're smarter than everybody and we'll charge them for driving their car. Um, but we speak the wisdom of God. And the difference between the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God is the wisdom of man perishes, but the wisdom of God is eternal. Um, and true wisdom doesn't perish or go out of style. It will always work. You read Proverbs of Solomon from thousands of years ago, it works. It works. If you disobey it, you see just how it would have worked otherwise. Um, but worldly wisdom doesn't hold up to this. You know, you try and use a, a textbook from 20 years ago, 100 years ago, you'd probably be laughed, um, you know, out of the classroom. And remember, uh, if you guys were here for the other, the other message, God will squish them. You know, God's so powerful, the greatest things in man will be destroyed. It's not a big deal for God to say, oh, okay. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Um, do we read 70? Yeah, we read 11, right? Uh, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If uh, Pilate knew, if the Pharisees knew who Jesus really was, and they believed in him, they, they probably wouldn't have crucified him. I mean, God obviously had a plan, and, you know, we get into that, and that could be heady and, you know, a different conversation. But the point is, is that they didn't. They didn't believe he was God and said, let's kill him because he's not who he is. And Pilate said, what is truth? And missed a great opportunity to find out what it was. Um, but if, uh, read it later for homework. Ephesians 3, 1 through 12. It says that the church is the witness of wisdom. 
if we really if we're the church and not this building and not the building down the street or anywhere, but if we're the church, people who believe in Jesus Christ, if if we believe that God raised him from the dead and he died on the cross for our sins, and that's the only way for us to know God is through Jesus, then you're the church. And we're supposed to be the witness of wisdom. Um, you know, if if God is wise and we know him, there should be some evidence of his wisdom in our lives. Even if it's just a fraction, there should still be, oh, I think I see it. Yeah, there you go. You know, there's a little there's a little wisdom. Like, there's a little tooth coming in. You got a little bit of wisdom there. For me, there's a little tooth going out. <laughs> you had some wisdom there. Um, you know, if, if we're around God, there should be some evidence that we've been around him. And not just in words, but in the way our life has been changed, the way we've been changed. Um, but when the world truly seeks wisdom, they'll hopefully turn to believers. At some point, if they're really seeking wisdom, they'll turn to believers. When, before I knew the Lord and I wanted to know the truth, I was on this quest for truth. Eventually, God led me to the Bible. God led me to some Christian fiction. And it, it was like, it didn't make much sense. But I knew that in there, I knew that there was truth in there. I just didn't, you know, apply it to my life or understand it. Um, but are we living wisely? Have we matured to where our lives speak of wisdom? You know, I think even when the moment you get saved and you tell someone, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian now. I ask God to forgive me or whatever you say or you stop drinking with your friends or whatever it is just because God took it from you or changed it in you. That's a little little bit of wisdom. The world goes, what? Like I remember my friends going, you're going to church tomorrow? I was like, yeah. Like, you know, so, you know, I would love to hang out with you guys, but I'm going to church in the morning. You know, that's what I want to do. Like, I know Jesus. They're like, okay. You know, you don't drink anymore? And I go, yeah, I just don't desire it anymore. I, you know, I can't really explain it. You know, I, I don't desire it. And I was the first one out there. Let's get the drinks. Let's buy it around. You know, like, they're like, what? Like, you're crazy, bro. But it was like that little bit of wisdom that they just didn't understand. Um, but are we claiming wisdom, uh, but living foolishly? Are we claiming to have the wisdom of God, but our lives say the complete opposite? I hope not. I'm sure that there is some in all our lives. You know, none of us are perfect. None of us have attained or perfectly matured. But for the most part, for the most part, are we seeking that wisdom in our lives? But it says that the mysteries of God are revealed only by the Holy Spirit. You know, no amount of divination and getting out there with the rods or whatever, or mathematics will figure out God's heart. Um, You know, real quick, before I knew the Lord, um, I got into Revelation, you know, September 11th happened. And I started remembering all this stuff from when I was a kid and uh, about Revelation from a, a class I was in in school. And I was like, wow, this is starting to make sense. And the world doesn't make sense, but this starts to make sense. And I'd be sitting there and I'd be doing drugs, reading Revelation. I'd have my pen out all crazy in my room trying to figure out what Revelation meant and trying to figure out the path of all this crazy stuff. And I couldn't get anywhere with it. You know, I was like, wow, this is insane. And I would keep going, and I just got worse and worse and worse, although God kept speaking louder and louder and louder, uh, thankfully. Um, but no, no amount of that, you're never going to figure out the Bible if you don't know God. If you haven't accepted Jesus, it won't make sense to you. It won't make sense. That kind of sense, you know, I can see if you're out there thinking, well, you know, of course not, because I'm not going to believe that. You know, why would I believe in Jesus, and then I'm going to believe all that malarkey? Like, it's the truth, you know. God is truth, his word is truth, and this is an example of him. Um, In fact, it is him. But the rulers of this age and the past age knew nothing about godly wisdom. That's why they crucified Christ. That's why they're removing him from all of public life. Because they don't want godly wisdom. They want their wisdom. And somehow the public has come to mean government run. 
like let's go to you know let's go outside let me go outside the door and that's the public all of a sudden that's the government's eminent domain but you know it's just like this whole idea of worldly manly wisdom has kind of taken over almost every aspect of our lives instead of what it used to be um but they would not have crucified jesus true um wisdom leads to accepting jesus not rejecting him jesus says if you'll seek me and find me and you seek church me with your whole heart then you'll find me um i botched that but you get the point that if we're really seeking God, he's going to reveal himself to us. You know, if you're really seeking God and you truly want to seek God, eventually you'll come up and go, oh, Jesus. And you'll either accept him or reject him. But that's exactly the opposite of what you'll hear outside these doors. So let's, uh, let's go on. 9 through 12, right? But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man, we read this, I know, except the Spirit of the man which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Um, and now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Um, you know, this spirit, now that we have God's spirit in us, now we can truly have God's wisdom. We can truly follow God's plan. Um, I think that's why in James 4 it says, uh, Come now, you who say it's today or tomorrow, you know, we'll go to such and such a city, we'll spend a year there, we'll buy and sell, and we'll make a profit. You know, we're going to go to Arizona and flip houses. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Um, I remember uh, I was going on the interview for the, the job that I work at now, which is a great job. I remember they asked me, what's my five-year plan? Or where do you see yourself in five years? And that verse came to mind. I go, uh, I don't even remember what I said, really, honestly. But I remember sitting there for a second going, how do I answer this? How do I answer this, like, truthfully, without, you know, without botching it? But I don't remember. Hopefully it was good. But uh, worldly wisdom relies on plans and effort. Worldly wisdom says, make plans, put forth as much effort as possible. If that doesn't work, lie, cheat, steal. Godly wisdom relies on faith and patience. Godly wisdom says, seek God, have faith in what he says, and wait for God to do it. And then you can kind of make plans from that. You can kind of like, you know, David built the temple, and Nehemiah got ready to build the wall and everything. And then when God opened the door, they went through it. But godly wisdom relies on faith and patience. God has better things for us. Hebrews 6, 9, But, beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you, yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak, this, speak in this manner. What are the plans you have for your life, your children's lives? What are your plans to get out of the trouble you're in? You know, it's tax season. You know, maybe the bills are piling up. You know, maybe you don't have a job or whatever the case may be. I'm sure there's some trouble in all of our lives. Um, it, it's probably not as bad as some of us probably have it real bad. But what is the trouble you're in? God has a better plan in mind. God has a better way in mind. And these things that accompany salvation, the things that God has for you go along with your salvation. They never replace it. Health and wealth and prosperity never replace salvation. They may come along with salvation, but as you see tonight, two of our pastors, who are very godly men, are not healthy they're in pain and that's not because they've done anything wrong it's just because god's allowing it for a reason um so th those things those good things don't always come along but the good things of god 
always come along with salvation. But it says in verse 10 that the Spirit searches the deep things of God. God reveals himself through us, to us through his Spirit. Um, you know, para, the Spirit comes alongside. And when we believe in Jesus, he comes inside. And then epi, when he comes upon us and empowers us, that, that power to do his work. Uh, Proverbs twenty twenty seven says, The Spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. Um, just like, you know, you can probably tell what I'm feeling, or maybe I can tell what you're feeling, maybe by your expression, like, ooh, that hurt, or ha, 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 that was funny, or I didn't see any smile lines, so you're faking that smile. You know, you can kind of tell, like, maybe what a person's feeling, but you'll never really know what someone else is thinking. Um, even if they tell you, you know, our minds work so fast, you'll never know exactly what they're thinking. Um, well, maybe some of us. But, uh, <laughs> but although uh, we can do that, um, it's the same thing with God. Um, God really knows what we're thinking and what we're feeling. Jeremiah says, you know it, that our heart's deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, know it. I try the hearts. Um, that we don't even know our own thoughts completely, but God does. But the same thing, we may see something that God is doing. We may see something that God is allowing. We may read something in the Bible and take it at surface value again, like that whole idea of the box, and not really understand what God's heart is on it. And, um, you know, I've heard of people like Oprah went astray and said, I don't believe in God anymore because she heard that verse, God is a jealous God. And she thought of God in a jealous way of being, oh, he's jealous. That's, you know, the human attribute of, you know, it's this bad thing. Where when it says God is jealous, he's jealous because he wants the best for you. He doesn't want you to keep you away from stuff that's good for you, but to keep you away from stuff that's bad for you. And so when we come and look at the things of God without the spirit of God, we can get the wrong impression. You know, you can read the Old Testament and people go, oh, two different gods, Old Testament, New Testament. But when you read it and, and seek the Lord, and you see, no, no, it's the same God. He just has to do things in slightly different ways. And they, and they all work together, though. But we only understand his heart through his, through his spirit. First uh, John says that we don't need anyone to teach you, but the true anointing comes um, from God. And not that we don't need others to help us understand spiritual things. Not that you don't need to come to church or read a commentary or read the Bible. But those things should not be your primary instruction in the Word of God. Your primary instruction in the Word of God obviously should be the Word of God. What does the Word of God say about the Word of God? What does this verse say in this verse? What does it say in context? You know, not just pick out a verse and say, you know, God doesn't like this and not see the heart behind it in the context. Um, but also to pray about it and seek God and, and you know, you may not understand it. There's no way we're ever going to understand every scripture, but God will reveal to you things. And, you know, sometimes he'll use other people to reveal it to you. Um, but if we want to know God, we must know Jesus. If we want to know Jesus, who he really is, we must listen to the spirit. The spirit leads us into the things freely given by God. God's never going to put a guilt trip on you, but he will convict you. He won't put a guilt trip on you. So you run away. He'll put conviction on you so that you run to him. So you say, God, I'm sorry. Not, not, oh, man, I'm horrible and run away. That's the enemy. And that should be the litmus test. Um, does this lead me to Christ or away from him? Does the message I'm hearing tonight even lead me to Christ or away from him? Does it lead me to something else? Does this feeling I have lead me to Christ or away from him? Um, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of the world, and then, but the one who leads us away is the spirit of the Antichrist. And that's something that's a little heavier. That we won't get into for time. And we'll, we'll finish up. Verse 13 through 16. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. 
But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Spiritual words versus physical words. You know, you can think of, uh, you know, Christianese. You know, maybe you come to church and you hear even the word Christianese. Like, what is that? Like, you know, praise the Lord, brother. And, you know, I I guess I'm, I'm kind of anti-Christianese, so I don't even know some of them, but I'm sure you know. Um, you know, saved, uh, repent, baptism by fire, uh, you know, uh, Anything that you just kind of use all the time uh, that an unbeliever wouldn't understand. Uh, when you're in the world, speak to unbelievers as you would anyone else. Like I speak to my coworkers, hopefully like I would anyone else. But I don't expect them to understand Christianese, so I don't really use Christianese with them. Like I'll say, yeah, I was praying about it. I don't say I went home and I closed my eyes and I talked to God, although that would be kind of cool. But, yeah, they ask me about the baby name. I say, oh, we're praying about it or things like that. Um, because how can they understand these, these words that we don't even understand sometimes? Transubstantiation. But cursing, this came to my mind, cursing. It blows my mind that some people who claim to be Christians, you know, still curse all the time. I can understand if you, if you struggle with it or um, whatever. But if it's like, oh, it, it doesn't even matter. I'm just going to go out and curse all the time. Or some that are even in ministry or put it on like a music CD and claim that that CD is Christian. And they're saying, that, oh, yeah, God wants me to curse on the CD to reach those kids because those kids are putting shotguns in their mouth and they're killing them. I'm like, yeah, but that doesn't mean you need to curse to talk to them or that they won't respect you if you don't. Ephesians 4.29, who cares what I say? What does Ephesians say? Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You know, it hurts me and it angers me in the sense of the lives. I'm talking about the Christian leaders who think that it's okay to, to do these things um, for the lives that it's impacting. And it, it makes me sick. Why? Because it grieves the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus didn't need to go out there and curse to reach unbelievers. He just hung out with them. He just talked with them. He just loved on them. In fact, the Bible just says it. You know, I don't need to explain it to you. The Bible says it to all of us. Let no un, uh, corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. And that doesn't even have to be a curse. Like, my friends and I were talking yesterday, and I was like, my humor and my uh, sarcasm has really gotten sharp lately. It's been like a thorn. And, and I didn't mean it for it to be, but it's like I kind of found this freedom in the humor, but then I, like, let it go. And it kind of became sharp. And that's, that can be corrupt. That can be corrupt. But spiritual things can be hard to explain with physical words, even to the spiritual. Like, Jesus used parables, earthly stories with heavenly meanings. Um, Paul spoke of the things he saw uh, when apparently he was dead for a little while, but that it said it would be unlawful for him to try and put it into words. You read Revelation and you go, man, what in the world is going on? Then you read a couple chapters later and it says, oh, this is what that is. And it kind of explains itself, but it's still pretty out there. But have you ever tried, we're almost done here. Have you ever tried to explain something spiritual to someone who isn't saved or isn't even interested in godly things? Like maybe they're seeking godly things, so they'll listen. But, you know, someone who wants nothing to do with God and they're just like, whatever, that's foolishness. You know, they'll glaze over. They'll scoff. You know, they'll fall asleep. I'm just kidding. I'd fall, if I was out there, I'd probably fall asleep too. But they will scoff and totally not understand. Wait, you go to church how many times a week? You actually believe the Bible is true? I don't have sin. 
Everything happened by chance. Okay. Proverbs 16.31, bro. This tragedy happened because God doesn't care and is uninvolved. If God loved us, he wouldn't have let this happen. He's not involved with us. You've lost your mind. You know, even Jesus' family thought he was crazy when he began sharing spiritual things and doing miracles and helping people. Mark 3.21 says, But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him. Like, hey, Jesus, he's out of his mind. He's out of his mind. This is our brother. The guy who made the kitchen table, he's out of his mind. He thinks he's like got a connection with God. He is God. You know, uh, there's some people who were close to me early on in my walk who said, you're in a cult. You're in a cult. And I was like, you've been to church. I mean, yeah, I was probably crazy and still crazy then, but it wasn't a cult. You know, the natural man cannot receive them because it's foolishness to him. It's foolishness. They say, it's foolish. God is foolish. The Bible is foolish. Don't do this. Don't do that. It's because they're missing the point. Those things kill you. Those things are what keep us from God. Those things are the reason why tragedies happen. Bad stuff happens because we screwed this place up. Because we sinned. Adam and Eve sinned. You know, it's not that God's not uninterested. He died. He came and said, okay, you messed it up. I'm going to come in there and be killed for everything. It's not that he's not involved. It's just that he's gracious and he says, you wanted it this way? I will let you have it this way for a while. But it's interesting. It says that, you know, the natural man cannot receive them because it's foolishness to him. The natural man's mind or natural woman's mind blocks their heart from receiving the truth. It's foolishness. And their heart stays dead and their spirit stays dead because their mind blocks it. But repentance means to change your mind. You know, I was talking with one of the youth uh, last week, and they just said, like, uh, a little while ago, they were talking about how they just had this, like, realization, like, wow, the way I'm going is wrong. You know, I w- they were raised in church. They knew godly things, but they were just doing their own thing. And they were, I wouldn't look at them and say they were a bad kid or anything. But they said, wow, like, I, it just hit me. Like, I'm going the wrong way. I, I need to go the other way. And I was like, that is it. That is the gospel. That is repentance. It's not this fancy stuff. It's you changed your mind. You said, wow, I messed up. The way I think I should do things doesn't work. And even if it did work, God doesn't want it to work that way. You know, I'm not happy. I'm not fulfilled. I'm not going to heaven. So change our minds. Are we not spiritual? Repent. Change your mind. Let God change it. You know, the spiritual discernment, discernment, determining right from wrong, good from bad. Discernment is anacrino. means examine or judge. You guys know it. Don't judge me. Don't judge me, bro. You know, don't tase me. We are to judge between right and wrong. Some people get that. <laughs> we are not to condemn and say that's all for you. Like people say all the time, don't judge me. I'm sinning, but don't judge me. Well, yeah, I'm not to judge you and say that you're sinning and you've got no hope and you're going to hell and fooey on you. It's really, uh, hey, bro, like this is right and this is wrong. You're a believer. This should not be happening in your life. Why? Because I want to see Jesus Christ resurrected in you. I want to see that new life in you, not this dead man life. But in the same way the world may judge or condemn us and say that we're hateful or bigoted or backwards or homophobic or whatever, but it's really because they don't understand spiritual things. And they have no authority over us because we're under God's authority now. We're not under the authority of sin. Um, And they're trying to exercise that authority over us by putting this iron fist of law on us because 
they say, oh, you know, you can't say that. You know, you can't believe that. You can, you can believe it, but just don't say it to anybody. You know, Acts 5, 28 and 29, the high priest asked Peter and the other apostles, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. Like, you're blaming us for killing him. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. You know, we are not to fear man's wisdom or man's judgment. You know, they go hand in hand and they lead straight to hell. In the same way, we can't judge God. Why did he allow this to happen to me? Why, did, uh, he, why didn't he meet my need or answer my prayer in the way I thought he would or in the time I thought he would? Or why this or why that, God? I mean, he wants us to ask him and it's okay. It's healthy to talk to him and say, God, like, why? Like, you know, you may not understand why, but he may, he'll help you through it. You know, he is greater and wiser than us, and he is answering our prayers. He is. He really is. But we might just not be in the spiritual place to receive those answers. You know, there's a talk in Hebrews. Um, it talks about entering, be diligent to enter into the promised rest. And it talks about the Hebrews leaving uh, Egypt. God rescues them out of Egypt with Moses. They cross the Red Sea by a miracle. God kills all the, the Egyptians. And then they wander through the desert for 40 years. You guys might have heard that that wasn't really God's plan. It's only like technically a two-week journey from there until the promised land. But it took them 40 years. Why? Because they, they, they didn't believe. Because they were disobedient. And God had to take that time to remove the disobedience, to get rid of those people who just wouldn't repent, who just wouldn't repent, even though he rescued them. But he wants to bring us to that place where we can receive that promise. Or his answer for the Israelites' prayer of, wow, we're under the, the hand of Pharaoh, making these bricks and slaving away all day. His answer was through the wilderness and into the promised land, where, you know, land flowing with milk and honey. And he had to kill all these people to get them out of there because it wasn't their land anyway. So you got to defend your land. And God put him in there. But some of them didn't make it because they weren't in the spiritual place to receive it. So be spiritual, be wise, and be free. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, so much, just uh, God, that you are wise. And God, as the scripture says, your words and your thoughts are much higher than ours. And God, we need your wisdom, God. Please uh, just take away any, any of my wisdom from tonight. And I pray that you would just continue to, to work this message and this part of scripture in our lives. And help us to, to make the right decisions. Help us to repent from just the silly things that uh, keep us from you. And, uh, Lord, we just pray just for Owen and for Pastor Tony that you would heal them and uh, just give them rest and uh, that they would hear from you tonight. And uh, that everyone here, God, as they go out and uh, as they really do have things going on in their lives, I pray, Lord, that they would seek you and that they would listen and wait and be patient and, and just have faith in the answer that you have already prepared for them because it's, it's for their glory that you've done this and you've kept it uh, a mystery. And we just thank you, Jesus, for that. In Jesus' name.